the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Very important to uh, visit today. Thank you for tuning in. We've got some great guests in just a few moments. We'll talk with Bridget Van Means, our old friend, one of the pro-life leaders for America. Uh, And we'll also get an update from Lauren Bowman about H.R. 1, uh, Senate Bill 1, uh, the bill that's so-called election integrity. It's an attempted takeover uh, by the uh, Democrats uh, of all elections. Elections, federalizing elections. We'll get an update on all that. Before we do, let me go back and, and reinforce for you all what is what you need to know today. And let me encourage you, please visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and get yourself uh, signed up for the daily email from me. That way you'll get exactly what you need in your email box at 8, 8 a.m. East Coast, 5 a.m. Pacific Time, uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, go to ProAmericaReport.com, sign up there. You can also look at all these interviews we're doing and follow them along. Okay. Now, I've been telling you about the narrative machine for a long time now, the narrative machine, and I want to revisit this, but I want to highlight one of the ways we're watching the uh, growth of one aspect of the narrative sh- machine. Now, my teaching, my description for you is that there is a narrative machine composed of three major parts one is big tech. Seems pretty obvious how big tech controls what we see and what we uh, therefore know and a lot of what we do. And they do it with neuroscience. Big tech. Big media dominated in large part now by former and perhaps current intelligence operatives, Brennan Clapper, all these other people. And they're using brainwashing. Sophisticated brainwashing, imagery, choices of stories to brainwash the American people. So you got big tech, big media, and then you have big government. And the three of these are working together to piece together, to force upon the American people a narrative. And you will, if you are uh, outside of the narrative, you will be shunned and you may even be targeted for prosecution. So here's an example. If you uh, the narrative machine, big tech, big media, big government in the last year and a few months has said pandemic and the narrative machine has you mu- has said you must trust the science. You must trust the science, even though the scientists Fauci, the solicitor, the um, the um, solicitor general, not the solicitor general, the surgeon general, others lied to us or they at least had one opinion one day and another opinion the other day. You know, we have one opinion one day, one opinion the other day. We have, But we're told, trust the science. And, and the narrative machine, big government, big tech, big media, has forced you to su- subscribe to the notion that you must follow the science. And then they tell you what the science is. That's the trick, you see. So they say, big media and big tech, te- you know, brainwash you and use, neuro- <clears throat> excuse me, use neuroscience to tell you what you must do, which is follow the science. And big government, Fauci and others, tell you what science is. It's been pretty effective. It's been pretty effective, and arguably, it's been uh, one of the greatest narratives foisted upon the American people, any people in the world, ever. Okay? So, but now I just want to pause. And, and for a while, we've talked about big tech and big media. You've heard me talk about big media, the, the role of cable TV, the role of, of newsprint, uh, the, 
<coughs> the role of the websites and Twitter, uh, excuse me, uh, the media, general media. I mostly mean cable TV. That's the biggest uh, dominant force, the brainwashing force, and and print, New York Times, Washington Post. Uh, but let's shift over, and and I heard you've heard me talk about big tech, power of Twitter, social media, power of Facebook, social media. Let's talk about big government. The expansion of big government into the role of enforcing the narrative is growing every day, every single day. So the news comes out, and this guy named Ken Klippenstein, and I'll put it up on social media, he's not a conservative. He's a liberal. But he has received a leaked document from the Department of Homeland Security. I think it's Department of Homeland Security. Yeah, the Department of Homeland Security. The Countering Extremism Working Group. C-E-W-G, Counting, Countering Extremism Working Group. Okay, you get that? This is a new group created by the military, by the department, I think it's the Department of Home, no, it's Department, department of Defense. I'm sorry, I'll, I'll confirm that while we're talking. But th- this, is an, uh, this is an effort, yeah, sorry, it's Department of Defense. The Pentagon has started the Countering Extremism Working Group, okay? Now, what is that? Well, there's a subcommittee, that has been identified and has been listed and leaked publicly, so you can now see it. And the subcommittee lists the people who the Pentagon will check with to see who are the extremists. And if you look at that list, there's about 25 or 30 names on there. One of them looks like a conservative. One, perhaps. The rest of them are hard left, you know, very liberal, very, um, I would say, pro-Islamic, uh, pro-jihadi. That's a little bit strong, strong, but you get my point. Very liberal, and, and all it's all about taking one side. It's like taking the Southern Poverty Law Center and asking them to help vet the DOD. Well, that's about what they're doing. And in places all over the country now, you've seen the Southern Poverty Law Center is cited by government. But in one, way, in one sense, it used to be that they had to set up these front groups that government had to point to. Southern Poverty Law Center, uh, CRU, which is the Center for uh, Renewal of Ethics in Washington or something like that. Total front groups. Total front groups for the left and leftist Democrat positions. And so, but now... They're moving it into government. They're taking out the one step going outside of government to do this, to enforce this stuff. And so you have a working group inside the Pentagon made up of leftists who are going to target the extremists. They're not going to target um, uh, uh, debates on extremism. They're not educating. They're saying, who are the extremists and then what should we do with them? And as we pointed out yesterday... You know, the New Republic front page, the uh, cover story is about David Horowitz, and, and they're targeting David Horowitz. They finish saying, we disagree with David Horowitz, we disagree with him, and we call upon the government to investigate him. Well, in this case, the Pentagon's already got a unit set up, filled with leftists, who will now aim the power of big government at the people. That's an extraordinary thing. You're seeing that in the Department of Justice. Susan Hennessy, who was wrote for a blog called Lawfare, who was one of the biggest proponents of the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, said terrible things about a lot of people. I mean, she has a right to. She was a commentator. She's a lawyer. But now she's the number one or two at the, at the Department of Justice in national security with the clearance at the highest level. This is not, this is not, leaving, um, uh, this is not leaving any doubt about where we're heading. And into this steps... 124 generals and admirals who have written a letter saying, hey, wait a second, our country's going in the wrong direction. We see the government being used against we the people. 
And if you see this essay, 124 retired generals and admirals, and the headline in lots of places is they question uh, Biden's mental health. That's not the biggest thing that is in there. What they say in there is that there is a, a danger in what they're observing about how the people in this country are being forced to to deny uh, that there were problems in 2020 and being told you must accept this truth. And the power of government and others are enforcing that. And one of the things is it's true. They, they, uh, these 124 generals and admirals do say that uh, that uh, President Biden seems sort of feckless and seems not so strong. But that's not a surprise. Nobody else, even the Democrats say that. But the question is, and it was, and it's been disputed, and it's been and been called political. They've accused this group of being too political. They've said you're being too political by coming forward. Now, remember, David Petraeus ran for president. Uh, Stanley McChrystal takes positions on all kinds of hot buttons, but to the left, a uh, Wesley Clark, a retired general, ran for president. I mean, this is this is insane that the oh, and and Clapper is over at CNN, and Brennan is over at MSNBC. And they're getting paid big money to talk about things that they were in charge of in their previous jobs in the, in the government, intelligence. But somehow these 124 men and women are not allowed to have an opinion and say it publicly. That's what we're talking about. The voices that should be respected, that should be in the debate, are now attacked and ignored. And the voices that need to be utilized by the left are being brought into government. The big government portion of the narrative machine is ramping up. Here's another quick example. There's tons and tons of video footage of the January 6th protest at the Capitol. The government won't release it. Why? Most of us think because it would be exonerating for everything. It looked like a, it looked like a tour of the Capitol for 98% of the people that were there. But they won't release it. The narrative machine, big tech, big media, big government, it felt like big tech... Power of big tech, power of the brainwashing, big media. felt like those were the big ones. Big government. It's getting big in our lives. It's getting big in our lives. Worth worrying about. All right, we got to take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. One of my favorite people for a lot of years now is a woman named Bridget Van Means. She's been on before. Uh, But Bridget Van Means is one of the more extraordinary leaders. She got involved with uh, Thrive St. Louis and uh, led this organization to, from what I would say was um, an important effort to reach out to uh, pregnant women and help them get counseling and not have an abortion to now sort of a juggernaut of people, about about a community of people that are trying to bring their uh, life and their faith to helping others, especially around the question of abortion. It's been extraordinary to be a witness to and be a part of in some small way. So first of all, welcome, Bridget Van Means. How are you today? I am awesome, and I guess it's a good thing that I'm one of your favorite people since you're one of my favorite people. That makes it convenient and not weird. It, it, it makes it, yeah, that's it makes it easier that way. Uh, well, yeah. you're really nice. Thank you. By the way, let me say thrivealivestl.org. As people hear Bridget talk and we talk, it's where you can learn more about what they're doing, how you can be a part of it. If you're someone who is in need, uh, you mentioned it's thrivestl.org. Someone, a woman that needs something. But but yeah. Bridget, first of all, let me ask you. Let me ask you about the last year and a couple months because. One of the things that you have had to do as a leader and as an organization is figure out where women in need are. In other words, when someone's in need and they're scared, being able to communicate to them and say, hey, not not let us threaten your fear, but let us comfort you and give Mm -hmm. you a sense of options. In the last 15 months, 
there's a lot more fear in this country over lots of, you know, the pandemic and, and, uh, and so mm-hmm. yeah, how is it, how has it changed uh, your work or how has it enhanced it or what, you know, your ministry, what, what's, what's, give, I don't know what your, what your thoughts are on this time we're in and how it's impacted what you're doing. Yeah, that's a really insightful question. We really think the most important thing is meeting women right where they are with understanding. Um, you and I have, you know, strong feelings about preborn children and the desire and strong need to protect them. Um, however, when a woman is caught in a fear and she is caught in anxiety and maybe in some unthinkably difficult circumstances, um, those kinds of thoughts are not in her mind. She's afraid. She, it's really a, um, she's really feeling like she's fighting for her future and really her her survival in a lot of ways. So it's so important that we meet her where she is with understanding. One of our uh, credos is ethical medical care is good medical care. So we know that if we move alongside her and we, we move from our paradigm of ethics, right? So you and I, right. and even the purpose of right. your show is it's about ethics. It's what we believe our values, um, our pro-life values, our pro-America values. But we, we know and we've experienced that if we move from that paradigm of, of strong values, that's going to result in a very, very excellent encounter, a medical encounter and medical services for the woman. So that's one of the things that you're hearing is medical, right? So even though you and I are doing the work we're doing because we love God, right? And we want to live our lives in a way that upholds his values. What she sees herself experiencing is a medical crisis, right? She's actually, right. she's scheduled the abortion, which had a lot of our women have, you know, they're, that's one of the uh, great successes of, of our work is that we're able to actually interrupt babies that are on their way to be aborted. So um, our women have already crossed that part of the field in terms of morality. She has justified mm-hmm. it in her mind. And so at this point, she has relegated it to a medical crisis. She has a medical crisis. Right. It needs a medical solution. You know, I hate to be um, too brutal, but almost like the removal of a bad tooth, right? Like that's what she has in her mind. And that's been promoted by um, the number one weaponized assassins of children, which is Planned Parenthood. And so that kind of thinking, you know, this is a medical situation that's a lump of cells, it's not a person, that has really been uh, developed and nurtured in her at, a, at as early an age as possible, depending on the state that she's in. Um, and so she comes to us really seeking a medical solution so we can meet her there, uh, and then we can uncover the issues around humanity and faith and values. So when someone, the more and more afraid someone is, to your brilliant question, the more likely she's going to be to suspend good quality thinking, right? And then she's in a fight or flight mode, so she's going to be way more crisis oriented. So one of the things that we have to do is make sure we've had to really make sure that we're very visible and very available to her. So one of the things that we added at recently, um, and it's going to be a game changer, is our telehealth model. So now, Mm -hmm. so one of the things that we can do, and of course, that's one of the benefits of COVID, 
is we now can get doctors. We can get doctors appointments, and we don't have to take our PJs off. We can get doctors appointments right. with our PJs even. And so the telehealth right, right. innovation, yes, is going to have a huge impact on our work. And so one of the things that we're able to do is to get to her faster, quicker, and easier. So that's one of the innovations is the telehealth uh, speed to nurse protocol so that when she calls, we can start really intervening almost immediately now um, through that telehealth option. Still have the brick and mortars. In fact, we just got the mobile units back on the road. Um, and now we've added this telehealth dimension to address the, uh, the heightened sense of fear. And then, of course, making sure that we have lots of resources to come alongside her. So I had the benefit of sitting in with a gal and she was really nervous about mm-hmm. medical insurance and she was really nervous that her husband had just been laid off and that was driving towards an abortion choice and we were able to show her all the resources that we can wrap around her because again we're not just going to help her choose life we're going to be with her throughout that pregnancy and for quite a bit of time after the pregnancy we're talking with bridget van means who heads up thrive <clears throat> excuse me thrive america thrive st louis <clears throat> Jeez, pardon me. Um, uh, about, pardon me there, uh, Bridget. And um, you, you mentioned being visible, and <clears throat> many of our listeners will recognize there are lots in our communities, crisis pregnancy centers, <clears throat> that are extraordinary and do extraordinary work. Yeah. Jeez, Louise. And, and, but Thrive, it, what you did, and, and I'm looking, by the way, on the website, if you go to thrivealivestl.org, click on the mm-hmm. World of Thrive Mobile Medical Center. These are bright, you know, in fact, they have names. You said mm-hmm. Sue, Kent, Jake, and Bell. They're bright, they're bright, and they have, uh, <laughs> they have, uh, uh, they have, uh, the ability to help the, the, the woman in need to get an ultrasound, to get counseling, to have some confidentiality. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you're not just on mm-hmm. the sidewalk. You're able to say, hey, step over here, let's have a conversation, because people are nervous and uncomfortable but and so it's all extraordinary and even i remember when you started bridget to rebrand with the colors like when you see thrive mm-hmm. it's it's not dull it's not even red mm-hmm. white and blue because that that would be nice too but that's kind of like politics mm-hmm. it's it's bright green it's got like a person in the mm-hmm. v it's really cool but let me ask yeah, you about what you said trend, though because the, the trademark yeah. we hired a fancy company to help us develop that we knew that we would if we invested that money we would be that much more appealing to you know the young abortion minded girl and so very very on trend colors and graphics and in other words we need to look modern and culturally relevant if we want her to take us seriously we can't look like you know nurse nancy and uh church charlotte (laughs) (laughs) even though we are nurse nancy and church charlotte we're dressed (laughs) really cool (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, well, and so, but I want to ask you about this thing, what you just said, about a different threat. Because what you just mm-hmm. told me was tele- telehealth is great for you because you can help interrupt the desire for a medical de- decision. But, you know, mm-hmm. telehealth cuts the other way. The abortionists and, and Planned Parenthood are saying, oh, great, let's use telehealth and we'll give these vulnerable young women advice. They'll take it and even they'll have abortions uh, uh, through telemedicine, mm-hmm. through them. Mm-hmm. Than mm-hmm. than uh, chemical abortion, that's got to mm-hmm. be almost a, 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 a like a, a I hate to say it a game changer a, against what you're trying to do too, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If there's anything that's ever gotten me to kind of wake up in the middle of the night and say, "Oh Jesus, how are you going to help us with this?" I mean, that's that's a threat. And so there are a couple of things there. Number one, we're going to have to earn her brand loyalty um, earlier and earlier in her women's health story, right? So we're going to have to continue to work to be branded as the preferred choice 
um, when a woman starts making choices about her, her health, her women's health. Um, and, and we're well on our way to doing that, but we're going to have to do more and more of that. But then the other thing, you know, and this is, this is, this is the good and the bad. It's all good, but the challenge is there is that, yeah, we need revival in our country. We, it, it's not going to just be enough. Uh, to be more cunning and to, you know, have better advertising. All of those things are going to lend to victory. But ultimately what you're describing, you know, where an 11-year-old girl is going to be able to get an abortion through a pill uh, online without her parents' permission, you know, which is the kind of thing that this administration would love to see happen. And you know I'm not exaggerating. Man, we're talking about the need for spiritual renewal. We're talking about the need for uh, families to come into their right mind and to align themselves with God's values. So it's going to really have to be a tandem. It's really going to have to be a tandem movement of more and more shrewd, wise uh, strategies around the work that we do. But, yeah, this country is going to need a course correction. We're going to need spiritual revival if we think that it's going to be okay for, you know, what I just described. You know, here's what I'm envisioning, and this is what I tell my staff. Sooner than later, what this administration would like is that every medicine cabinet has the abortion pill in it, poised and ready for the 12-year-old girl who comes home and tells her mom she's pregnant. Wow. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, thank goodness. Thank goodness. Every household having that script on, on, on ice, so yeah. to speak. So we've got our work cut out for us, but it's not more work than God can show us how to handle. I was just going to say, thank God we believe in God who can uh, help uh, figure this mm-hmm. out. All right. I've got to run. Bridget Van Means. Again, it's uh, thrivealivestl.org. Thanks, Bridget. I appreciate you very much. And uh, we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America okay. Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Well, everybody's been tracking and wondering about what's happening up in the Congress and not just whether Liz Cheney has her uh, conference chairmanship, but actually... Are the Democrats in the House and Senate going to destroy uh, elections for the next, uh, I don't know, 25, 50 years with their H.R. 1 or Senate uh, Bill, Senate uh, S. 1 is what it's called in the Senate. And so I thought we'd get an update. And our, our next guest is going to fill us in on that. She is over at the uh, Public Interest L- Legal Foundation. Uh, and more importantly, for our listeners to know, she not only was in the Trump White House, but served on the campaign, the reelection campaign. Before that, she worked. This is really interesting because I, I, Lauren, I worked for Phyllis Schlafly, who's one of these, you know, mega founders he's i call them long shadowed founders and i guess in your early in your career you graduate you worked with ed fulner who's one of the founders of heritage foundation and the president there for a long time he's one of the iconic figures so lauren bowman is now the director of media affairs over as i mentioned at the public interest legal foundation and she uh we were emailing back and forth and she can give us a breakdown of where we are so first of all i get texts from people that are listening and emails and they want to cut through it do we have any sense when this is going to get voted on or is the reason we don't know it's getting voted on because it's not clear it's going to pass. What, what, what's your opinion, Lauren? Yeah, so um, they ha- the Senate Rules Committee marked up the bill this week on Tuesday. Um, and from there, it had a tie-in committee. Um, basically, the only way Democrats can get this passed is um, if they 
nuke the filibuster now that Manchin has come out um, saying he's not going to support it. It does not look like that's mm-hmm. going to happen. But, you know, we're still keeping up the fight because, you know, Manchin has been known to change his mind. And I'm sure Democrats are going to be offering him um, anything and everything to see what they can do to get him to change his vote. Um, but right now it looks like they don't have the votes to pass this bill. Is the um, so when you looked at it and you're 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 weighing in, is what's your biggest objection to it? Because it gets lost. One of these laundry list things, you know, this is a bill that HR one, which is the sort of originator of this, is something Nancy Pelosi has filed every time with a lot of this sort of Christmas tree of stuff. You know, all kinds of things that are added to it. What what's your top maybe two or three things in this that you'd say this would change how we live? What's going on? Why we can't do it? Yes. Um, I mean, I think the biggest thing is that this bill would fundamentally transform the relationship between the states and the federal government when it comes to elections. It would totally strip states of their rights to structure and run their own elections. Um, It's a power grab by the Democrats to keep themselves in power and to protect their majority. Um, Some of the bad provisions um, in this bill um, actually are just going to increase the risk of voter fraud and promote chaos on election day and kind of increase what we saw in 2020. For example, um, it would require all states to accept mail ballots that arrive up to 10 days after the election. So going forward, election day would be canceled. We won't know the winner of the election until 10 days after, so around Thanksgiving time. Mm. Um, I just think that's an unacceptable way for the world's number one uh, republic to function and run its elections. We've been able to do this promptly for over 200 years, and um, we should continue to do that. We shouldn't be lowering our standards. Again, we're uh, we're talking right now with Lauren Bowman uh, over at the uh, Public Interest Legal Foundation. You can go to publicinterestlegal.org and find out more. Also, I just had you on Twitter and I lost it. I'll, I'll find it again, Lauren. But um, so, well, and there it is, at P-I-L-F. That's uh, Public Interest Law F, F for Foundation, P-I-L Foundation. Uh, follow there on Twitter. Lots of lots of things to look at there and in through their website to, to through that uh, through that Twitter feed through that Twitter handle. Um, Lauren, is um, if 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 uh, Senate Bill One is done because of Manchin. What's next? I mean, Manchin, as he said, he was not going to vote for this or at least vote to do the filibuster. He went on to say he's he's ready to do something else. I mean, part of me wonders sometimes where we all build up our, our efforts to fight the big thing. They're still doing lots of things. In fact, the uh, Biden administration is doing plenty of things without Congress that are dramatically changing life in America. So where are we on this, on the elections issue? Do you think what's coming next? Um, yes. So Joe Manchin, in his statement, said it's time to pivot to something called the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, um, which is basically applying um, some larger provisions of the National Voting Rights Act um, that gave the uh, Justice Department heavy power over the southern states um, following uh, the 1960s issues that occurred there. Um, but applying this on a national scale, it's still just as dangerous. Um, it's still a federal takeover of our election system. Um, you know, they're going to try to sell this. Have, this is a moderate compromise. This is a watered down, completely version of H.R. 1. But it couldn't be further from the truth. It's still just as radical and just as dangerous. Um, and it's still just a complete step in the wrong direction. Americans don't want bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. running their elections. Um, power is best left when it's close to the people. And um, that's why states and localities need to be running their elections, not the federal government in Washington, D.C. 
Again, we're talking with uh, uh, Lauren Bowman, who's over at the uh, Public Interest uh, Legal Foundation. And um, Laura, uh, excuse me, Lauren. Um, and uh, I noticed that Ken Blackwell plays a role with you guys, and he's been a voice out there, which has been really great because he was, of course, Ohio's Secretary of State, as well as, I think, the mayor of Can- of Cincinnati uh, in early in his career, and is sort of a figure that's got some gravitas on this. Um, is the is the up in the swamp is the energy for uh some of this are they going to actually do it or is this sort of kabuki theater where they've got to show the base that they look like they care and they're going to move on i know you can't you you can't afford to play it any other way than they're going to do it but uh you know is what's the what's your feeling on it is the momentum out of this i mean it feels like the momentum's out of it a little bit you know, I think not for the Democrats, because like I said, this is really about protecting themselves, keeping them in power, keeping their majority in power, because they don't want another version of 2016 to happen. They don't want another Donald Trump to come in um, because they were so repulsed and worried by it. Um, so I think they're still as energized. But I do have to say that I think our side of the aisle is completely energized and united on this front that, you know, what happened in 2020 can't happen again, that we need to get our election system reformed. We need to have free and fair elections in this country, and it should be a bipartisan issue. But unfortunately, the Democrats are playing politics with this issue. We're again, we're talking with Lauren Bowman, one of the senior officials over at the Public Interest Legal Foundation, uh, P, uh, excuse me, publicinterestlegal.org. Um, let me just p- pivot to that for a moment. Um, I saw a couple days ago uh, your your Twitter feed, at PIL Foundation is the Twitter feed, referred to uh, one Pennsylvania resident had seven active registrations, right, had because in, in the, since the 2016 election or somewhere around then. It, no matter what the reason, Lauren, that it's clear now that the American, a, a majority of Americans, certainly a vast majority of Republicans, and even a, even a small, you know, not, not a majority yet, but a, a chunk of Democrats think these elections were run poorly. They just weren't, there's not a lot of confidence. And when there's not a lot of confidence, you got to worry about that. I mean, I ran the election board in St. Louis uh, for a couple of years. You got to worry if people don't believe in you. You also got to do a good job. Here, here's the question I have. Republicans started out this new year, 2021, looking like they were going to pass a bunch of state regulations, state laws to promote voter confidence. Unless I'm misreading it, only a couple did. The others got tied up with the usual state legislative stuff. You got other things that are going on and you got smaller groups. And Are you concerned that even though the energy in the grassroots is uh, for a need for reform, the will of the state legislatures has been a little mixed? Um, you know, we're really excited about what we're seeing at the state level. Um, just last week, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed legislation um, for election integrity reform in the Sunshine State that included outlawing the private funding um, by billionaire Mark Zuckerberg of their elections, by um, adding right. more voter ID requirements, um, by restricting um, a lot of the drop boxes that we saw with um, mail ballots. Um, so that was promising what we saw in Georgia, um, their reform law, which got a lot of uh, bad coverage by the mainstream media, um, actually really secured their elections a lot, um, especially mm-hmm. requiring voter ID instead of signature verification. Um, so, right. you know, I think we are starting to move in the right direction, especially in a lot of these states like Georgia that were just run horribly right. in 2020. Yep. Okay. I've got to run, unfortunately. Thank you very much for the update. We're really grateful. And uh, again, we'll have you back. Lauren Bowman, Director of Media Affairs over at Public Interest Legal Foundation. i got to run. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. 
Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Oxford University is embracing cancel culture by considering changes to their music curriculum to downplay or ignore the contributions of such classical legends as Ludwig von Beethoven and Wolfgang Mozart. Apparently, these composers are racists now because their work has overshadowed the work of non-white composers. Obviously, the charge of racism has little basis in reality, but cancel culture doesn't care about facts or reality. Their singular goal is to uproot our cultural institutions and replace them with a Hollywood-driven leftist narrative. If you don't believe me, just consider what Oxford wants to replace Beethoven with. Not only do they want to add new courses on African and African diaspora musics and global musics, but they actually want to replace courses on the greatest composers of all time with courses on contemporary pop music. This is absolute insanity. Have you listened to what pop music sounds like lately? The most acclaimed song of the year last year was called WAP, which is an acronym for a title I cannot legally speak on the radio. Leading music publications called WAP a triumph of delicious filth and a ripe split-open sex jam. Those were just some of the reviews that were written to be complimentary. The single was certified quintuple platinum, which means that in a matter of months, it was able to garner more sales than any song by the Beatles, Elvis, or Johnny Cash. The ultimate irony of cancel culture is that whenever they try to cancel something for being too offensive, they almost always replace it with something far more offensive. College students do not need to be studying any song lauded as the triumph of delicious filth. They ought to be learning about the groundbreaking music that has stood the test of time and influenced generations of inspiring musicians. If Bach isn't safe from cancel culture, you can bet that no one and nothing else is either. If you believe there is any part of Western civilization worth saving, stand with me against the cancel culture before these cherished jewels of our heritage are torn down forever. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Whether it's the vision of our founding fathers, the courage of our veterans, the moral compass of Christopher Columbus, or the fortitude of presidents like Lincoln and Reagan, the truth of history should not be undercut by liberal ideology. At Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, we honor history even as we look to the future. Join us at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Please remember, visit ProAmericareport.com, ProAmericareport.com, and uh, sign up for the daily email that comes in at 8 a.m. East Coast time, excuse me, and 5 a.m. Pacific time, ProAmericareport.com. Very simple. Sign up with your email address, and uh, we'll send you those emails Monday through Friday. No charge, no rental fees, no subscription, no nothing. Uh, I want you to check that out. Okay. Um, I want to finish today with a cautionary tale. I want to tell you a cautionary tale about the media. And how even just four or five years ago, we were in a different position. Okay, so we talked about big tech, big media, big government. This is about big media, and particularly about TV. Many of you know that when my book came out, The Conservative Case for Trump, New York Times bestseller, I did a ton of media. I did everything from MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, Fox Business. I did all the Israeli TV. I did RT America. I did all the everything you could think of. If they had TV, I did it because we were pushing the book, and I wanted to get the word out. It was the fall of 2016. 
And so it was very, very gratifying. It was very interesting. Then Trump won, and I had a chance to do another, pardon me, excuse me, another cycle of uh, media because I was, it was a success, and he won. The book was a success, then he won. And so off I was, again, all through the spring 2017. And in the summer 2017, I got asked by CNN to come up to to New York City and, and sit on a panel uh, with Anderson Cooper for a couple nights in a row. And after I did that, they offered me a position. They called me a contributor, and they paid me some money, uh, annual contract, to come in and be on whenever I could and whenever they wanted me. So for about six months, they flew me up to New York from my home in St. Louis and put me up at a big hotel, and I was on almost every night. If I got in on Monday, I'd be on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, fly home on Thursday, sometimes fly home on Friday. I was on usually with Anderson Cooper. He was doing two hours a night, uh, and uh, Andrew Cuomo, no, Chris Cuomo hadn't got that second hour. They were trying to figure out what to do with it. So it was usually like 45 or 50 minutes on air, and it was very, very educational. And as I met the people there, all the different people that were in those places, you know, uh, from Clapper to um, uh, Bernstein, uh, you had Begala. I met all the CNN folks, Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo and all the uh, all the uh, different journalists there. Uh, of course, Anderson Cooper and uh, met some of the back, uh, back room guys and the and gals, the producers. What you had, what the impression I had was very, very professional. They were looking at every aspect from the light to the to the dynamic between speakers to how you were. They, this was sort of big league ball, you know, big major league baseball. And I never got told what to say. Not once. But I definitely was there for my view, which was pro-Trump and everybody else was anti-Trump. And there was a, a definite uh, a, a desire for the hosts to sort of s- s- uh, spur the interaction between the different people, right? To get get us going and kind of uh, uh, arguing and all. And I was very blessed over the years to have worked with Phyllis Schlafly. And my kind of M.O. is the happy warrior. I don't get really mad. Uh, I don't get uh, too flustered. I just stay happy warrior. And it was somewhat infuriating for people like Anna Navarro and uh, and Simone Sanders and April Ryan and others and so but here's what I did learn all, all the not just at CNN all over those years is they generally gave you a fair shot this is 2017 into early 2018 you generally got a chance and they weren't generally lying about everything now they were in the midst of the Russia hoax and they were desperate for to believe it but they, they hadn't sort of gone all the way if I can say that and what you see now is that they go all the way. Oh, and I'm sorry. This is what I used to say. I used to go on the show, and it would be um, on East Coast time, like 10 to 11. And at home in St. Louis, it was 9 to 10. And the kids would be in bed, and my wife would watch it. And she would text me right after I got off the air. And she would say, is that worth it? And she'd say, is that worth it? And we, what she meant was, I would just get you know, kind of beat up by all the other people who were saying Trump is bad, Trump is evil, Trump is this, and Trump is that. And she would say, who are you convincing? Well, I remember one time John Schlafly said to me, of all the people watching CNN, are there people that are watching you and thinking, oh, I want to find out more about his opinion? Or are they mostly watching you because it's entertaining to see the other folks beat up on somebody? And that was a good question, right? It's a pretty good question. So what happened was over time, I, I started to say, well, I'm on CNN. And when I'd walk through an airport, people would recognize me on my way back to St. Louis. It happened, started to happen in the last month or so that I was on. And, uh, and I, I thought, well, this is valuable because I'm, I'm cutting a profile, you know, if I have other opportunities to communicate about these issues, whatever. But it also was taxing. And, and my point is, in January of that year, 
2018, they fired me because I disagreed with them on race and, and other things, and it just became intractable, and it just was probably, um, I told them I wouldn't change my mind, and I sort of apologized for something I said. They said I had to go, and we just left. Uh, we, we you know walked away. But here's what's happened since then, and this is what I think my wife was right about. It's not worth it to try to communicate with these left-wing sites with these left-wing cable giants you it doesn't do used to be that if the new york times called you called them back because it's the new york times and you knew if you dealt straight with a reporter you'd at least get a sense of what they were up to and you would get a sense to make a fair argument and get a fair deal that's not true anymore that's not true on cable tv it's not true at the washington post the new york times it's not even true with some of the uh, more conservative outlets the wall street journal doesn't seem to me i mean what's happened is they've they have been been driven down to a business model that means they just have to pick sides and they're going to do that no matter what they don't care about the truth i remember someone telling me that in the early 1900s in st louis there were like 50 newspapers st louis has one now up until 20 years ago it had two it had the globe democrat and the st louis post dispatch now it's got one the post dispatch barely 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 worth reading but 100 years ago, 110, 20 years ago, there was 35, 40, 50, something like that. There was a German-American paper that was conservative. There was a German paper that was liberal. There was a Italian paper that was middle of the road. There was a old-line paper that was conservative, all that. Everybody, ha- and they spoke to their community. They didn't bother. And the argument, there's a piece over in the Federalists uh, that says, basically, um, you have to understand, conservatives, it's not worth going to talk to any of these outlets anymore because a you're not going to change their mind and b they're actually going to hurt you and that's really true now and again that's the power of the narrative machine the big media if you can't even get your voice out on the big media you are by definition stifled by definition you've lost something that's where we are. So on one level, you say, here's good advice. If you're young, if you're conservative, you're not young. If you're just conservative, you're trying to get your voice heard. Don't bother trying to go on those uh, left-leaning sites and talking to left-leaning cable or left-leaning TV. It's not worth the trouble. It's just not worth the trouble, which is, <clears throat> excuse me, terrible. But that's the truth. In fact, it hurts you. But after you say that, that's a practical piece of advice. We should bemoan the loss of the media. It's devastating for our country. It's devastating for our republic. That's why this show is more important than ever. So, all right. Thank you, as always, to our great technical director, Noah, Joanna, for booking our guests, and you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.